0: Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today it's my great pleasure to welcome Allison Hartzell. Allison is a managing engineer at Barris Engineering with more than three decades of professional experience in emerging technologies. She's an internationally recognized expert in MEMS reliability and has expertise in surface chemistry and analytical techniques for failure analysis. At Berist, works with customers on reliability, failure analysis root cause and corrective action, manufacturing problem-solving, and fundamental materials science. Prior to joining Berist Engineering, Wilson was Director of Engineering for Reliability, Failure Analysis, and Yield at PixTronics, a wholly-owned subsidiary of Qualcomm. She was a senior staff scientist in reliability and yield at Analog Devices Micro Machine Products Division, and has worked at IBM and Digital Equipment Corporation. Allison has an MS from Harvard in Applied Physics and a BS from Brown University in Materials Engineering. She's also the co-author with Mark Da Silva and Herb Shea of MEMS Reliability, which is part of Springer Publishing's MEMS Reli- Reference Shelf Series. Allison, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Allison, I think most of our listeners are at least aware of the acronym MEMS, but I'm not sure they really understand what it is or how widespread this technology has become. Can you give us a sense of how MEMS has developed and grown over the last 20 or 30 years? Sure.
1: Uh, I'd love to. Thank you so much, Tim. Uh, MEMS, MEMS is an interesting technology because if you think about uh, a semiconductor, you think about a transistor and interconnect and capacitors and that sort of thing makes up you know, semiconductors. However, in MEMS, it's really a, a methodology to make the parts. Um, MEMS employ like microscopic kind of analogs, so commonly can't parts. And they have like channel membranes, that sort of thing. Um, they're not their micro machines are fabrication technology. So that's actually what defines MEMS, which is very interesting. So it gives it so many areas where MEMS can actually be used. But 20 years ago, when we were just starting, um, and in fact MEMS was started, I think '67, Harvey Matinson was one of the first folks to do it and there's many others in that, in that in that period too. I just went in Harvey because I met him and he was such an interesting fellow. Um but back then we were saying we're doing MIMS. Wow, how cool. We're we're making mems. What do you do? I make mems. Um, but now it's so widespread, it's no no longer they while we um, think. the technologies are being developed that are being developed are really interesting. But the big concern back then really was reliability. Really interesting. There are these tiny little mechanical structures on a chip and a lot of the customers and the marketplace, they weren't really ready for it. They were like, those are gonna break. You know, so the reliability aspect of these had to be done very well. There are basically three major players 20 years ago. Texas instruments or their micro mirror technology, which is still going on today. Motorola, which is now free scale um, with their pressure sensors still also going on today, and uh, Analog devices with their accelerometers uh, still going on today. and That's where I was. I was at Analog at the time, and uh, lucky enough to be on their Micro, micro Machine Products Division. Uh, I was hired uh, to lead the reliability effort and uh, start reliability of maps at Analog. and uh, I did that. It was challenging, fun. Um, exciting, exhausting, <laughs> but anything that you know, <laughs> a brand new game, you know, will, will make you. Um, so, but as I said back then, the biggest concern was uh, reliability. And in the case of ADI, we had a safety critical application. We were using uh, and developing the accelerometer in an airbag deployment of situation, so it was literally life or death. And to make sure that you made your part so it did not fail ever was, was the goal. And uh, and we did that. Um, it put a huge magnifying glass on reliability and made us get really good at reliability really fast. So we had so many unknowns you know, how to solve basic mechanisms that are really understood now, like friction, how microcontamination interacts with it, how to test it, how to test for reliability. These were all areas that we had to develop. But today there's so many applications and so many industries. And we've learned to do reliability testing early and design reliability in. Uh, the sensor market has grown so much, VEMS is a huge part of it. And we have foundries now for VEMS. So a lot of different folks can make VEMS and don't have to have their own fabs. Those week three I talked about Texas instruments, analog devices, and Motorola we all had our own fabs back. But now you can fab at a say a Silex or a Microline or another um, fabrication facility, and I there's so many good ones, those are just a couple examples. Uh, and you don't have to have your own fab; you can contract it out. Um, what's also very, very cool right now is um, the, the packaging effect of MIMS and. Uh, it used to always be hermetic, and now a lot of folks aren't even doing hermetic packaging anymore. Uh, in fact, a, a capped device with a normal, uh, plastic in a JetX sort of ready configuration is often um, a standard. Uh, Wafer-level packaging is, is very key. Um, packaging with a trousseau to or interconnect is very common. So there's been a lot of development in the packaging.
0: You know, Allison, I'm, I'm I'm really I'm sorry I'm I'm really glad you um you you mentioned some of the specific issues around reliability. I know that the people who are already working with MEMS devices are probably well aware of some of the challenges. But can you can you think of any um, applications of MEMS technology that might be surprising to people people who maybe don't even realize that the the systems that they're responsible for include MEMS technology. Sure,
1: sure, great, great, great question. Um, products that are on the market now and on the market in huge volumes are uh, MEMS microphones in your in your cell phone. Um, also, uh, gyros, um, complex motion sensors, printers, uh, switches, relays, flow sensors. Um, Let's see. Maybe um, pressure sensors are still around, uh, optical switching technology as well. Biomems applications are big now. Um, and uh, there's a the big field now that isn't developed and fully in the market, but it's going to be soon, and it, uh, it's micro-energy, micro-scale energy harvesting.
0: So, people may be working with men's technology and aren't even aware of it. Uh, they, they, yeah, they really do need to be concerned about the reliability issues.
1: Right. If you take your cell phone and you turn it 90 degrees, you know how your screen turns 90 degrees? That's done by a tilt sensor. Right. That's done by a tilt sensor. And tilt sensors, I remember working on a tilt sensor in the late 90s um, at Analog, uh, designed by uh, Dr. Mike Judy at Analog. And uh, we were like, wow, look at this thing, this is really cool. But it, um, it's now, you know, many different companies are making them, and, and they're, they're used in a lot of applications. There's compasses made of nibs in, in, in some cell phones or some applications of, uh, of
0: consumer electronics. So Allison, how does the small size of these devices or the different manufacturing techniques how does that change our thinking about the reliability of these kinds of devices? I think you were talking about this a little bit earlier. What what kind of failure modes do we see? Are are, are they the same ones that we're familiar with or uh, that we would um, see in, in larger scale assemblies or devices? Or how do things change when you go down to this small scale? Right,
1: that's a great question because that's really the crux of reliability. Uh-huh. One thing you have to still worry about, um, your traditional uh, failure mechanisms are, are made primarily on um, semiconductor equipment and those similar types of geometries, so you have to make sure you're definitely not going to design or interconnect uh, in a way where you get uh, current density driven electromigration or you're gonna you know, have enough of a passivation where you're not gonna get corrosion, that type of thing. You have to still Think about the traditional failure mechanisms, and uh, but but there's uh, other failure mechanisms that act differently. Let's like say ESD, it's it's always been a, a concern for a semiconductor, and it still is. Um, you know, some folks make an entire career out of developing and designing ESD protect devices, which is it's critical right. for semiconductor, but it's also critical for some MEMS electrostatic MEMS, um, tend to be uh. Sensitive to ESD and other MEMS too, but particularly electrostatic. Uh, but the failure mechanisms are a little different. It can weld basically a uh, a structure to a ground plane, and it can make it look like it's another failure mechanism when it's when it's really ESD. So be careful with with MEMS, and have to um, design the MEMS in a way where you don't get ESD, or if you do, you use standard ESD handling practices and the right materials to Ship them, etc. Um, but there's mechanisms that are that are um, critical because of the surface area to volume ratio of the size of the structures is very uh, high compared to you know a big mechanical structure that you're that you're you're replacing your microstructure with. Um, station is one thing. It started as static friction, uh, a term used for other technologies, um, disk drives would say, oh, we have stiction. Right. But in um, NEMS, stiction's a real big problem. And back 20 years ago, everybody was super secret about what was their special sauce that they were using uh, <laughs> to treat the surface and reduce the work of adhesion, so that stiction wouldn't be there. Uh, you still have to worry about stiction. A stiction now has... Um, a lot of different ways to uh, to to eliminate it or minimize it. Um, it's really a balance uh, equation that you have to think about. You have to think about the restoring force of your of your structure and the electrostatic force, and then the surface forces. And the surface forces are, are uh, basically lumped together, and, and we call that stick And then I'm seeing that in the most simple of science terms. So, microcontamination is also an issue. If you have a moving structure and you have a particle in there of the right size and it's in a critical area, you can actually obstruct the movement and stop the device and break right. it. It's broken. You know, so right. um, we have to be careful about those sort
0: of things. Allison, is it fair to say if someone has already has experience with uh, semiconductor design? And semiconductor manufacturing, that they should be, you know, already pretty aware of these issues. Uh, It sounds like, again, the manufacturing techniques are very similar. So maybe those people have a head start when it comes to to MEMS reliability. Well, i I like
1: to say that I like to say yes there. Although there's a lot of folks that come out, come right out of school. They only work in MIMS, so they're learning from MEMS itself instead of learning from Semiconductor first. I, Got it. I I started working you know, a long time ago, 33 years ago. So I started at IBM in Semiconductor, so I was lucky enough to get a great school in, uh, in reliability testing and development of acceleration factors, that type of thing, at, uh-huh. at very good um, Semiconductor Companies such as IBM and then Digital Equipment Corporation. Uh, so to me I used a lot of that methodology but then MEMS had a lot of new failure mechanisms so you had to use the fundamentals of reliability. Go back to the, what is your physics of failure? How, how long does it take for you to see a failure? Are you operating in the right regime? Are you accelerating to the point where you're having the same failure mechanism, are you actually breaking the car when you're accelerating. All these simple and you know basic reliability questions have to be applied even today on every new technology that's developed because you could be creating a new physics of failure and you
0: don't know it. You know, also, one of the things that I think frustrates a lot of people in reliability engineering is figuring out ways to we can um, influence the design community where uh, we can get designers to actually design in quality from the get-go. Um, how is that working in the MEMS world? Are designers more, I don't know, open-minded to, are they more aware of reliability issues? Are they more uh, willing to consider reliability in their designs? I think that
1: uh, I think they have to be. Uh, my experience is that they are. Are, but I was lucky enough to work at you know, analog devices, where it's very forward-thinking that way. I worked for a lot of startups as well, and they knew enough to, you know, try to hire a um, person to, me to say, Yay, hey, you know, we have somebody that's worked in this before and has experience, and that will help us with our with our product launch." Um, but there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, Now, knowledge on how to design out things like stitching. You put bumpers on your vents, you reduce your surface area. You can do that through processing by roughening up the surface. Um, You could could put very popular putting anti-stitching coatings on that reduce the work of adhesion, you know, orders of magnitude. So these are well-known design-in and process-in type of features that uh, are being done today, and that uh, a startup should know that. Um, but if they do get to the point where they're stuck, um, because of time to market, because of, you know, venture capital, money, that type of thing, or however you're right. you really don't have time to sit around and not understand the problem. You really should call in an expert or, or do your, your research and... Uh, and, and, and understand what's going on because I've had some folks before call me and be like, wow, we worked on this for months and now, oh, I had a paper on it. i like, oh, here's this paper. So um, now that's not always that way. So a lot of times it's a, it's a really challenging problem, but um, that's kind of what what makes it whether you can, can uh, put that product in the field because if you have marketplace acceptance then you're
0: doing really well. Yeah, I think you make a good point. Again, these smaller companies don't really have the money. They don't have the staffing. You know, they don't have they don't have the expertise um, that's readily available to them to help with reliability issues. Um, so there's lots and lots of reliability consultants out there, but not all of them have experience with MEMS. Um, how, you know, I, I, do we do we need to be careful to look for somebody with MEMS experience?
1: I, I would say yes, uh, because there are so many so many special failure mechanisms with mems that aren't with other types of parts. Um, and look for somebody that's that's worked on a variety of different products, just not one product, um, because that way that they can think in a way where they're very open-minded about, hey, here's a brand new design, uh, how could this fail? Um, instead of saying, oh, I worked on one design once and uh, I only know the, the types of failures in that design, instead of having a large breadth of experience to yeah. look across so many technologies and uh, understand how this, this new mm-hmm. technology might act. Um, bringing in reliability is key. You start with your known mass failure mechanisms, then you do a lot of tests, you determine your physics of failure. To accurately determine your acceleration factors, you have to eliminate your mechanisms that would cause early failure. You have to be ready for many cycles of learning. And as always, you've got to reduce defect density. You don't want anything to get out there and have an early failure rate so that the consumer sees it and says, Oh, everything's failing within a few months. Uh, That's not good. I wouldn't be happy, right? (laughs) No. (laughs) So, yeah. um, yeah, and if, if we're going to say you know I, I can't I can't do this this podcast without mentioning the Internet of Things because then it, would, right. it wouldn't be a modern podcast um, but aerables. But so if you think about these this type of technologies these types of applications have sensors have. and and uh, so you don't want there to be a, a, a a non-negative failure rate, because you have so many sensors all together for a concert. You can't have a significant failure rate, um, or your whole system will go down way too many times. So You want your MPF to be, to be very long. Uh, so that's, that's what I would recommend. And I'd also recommend that you start your reliability test very early. Uh, oh, well, I've got a few samples also, I got out of the counter. Put them on test. Put them on test now. Mm. What's wrong with your right. part? And uh, learn. Right. don't don't wait. You know, I, I, I uh I'm always amazed that folks said, oh yeah, we made it work, and then we tested it, and it's okay. So you did <laughs> the test. You didn't you didn't run it for billions of cycles, billions of cycles, or you didn't put it on for hours, uh, it's like the elevated temperature to see what would happen. Right. Please, please do reliability
0: testing early. That's my recommendation. You know, Allison, you had the benefit of coming up, uh, working with IBM and uh, and some getting, getting some great experience with MEMS. Um, a lot of our listeners may be uh, more traditional reliability engineers who, who who really don't have any experience with MEMS, and maybe maybe um, they might be encountering MEMS or the devices. For the first time, do you have any advice about how to bring these people up to speed so that they can uh, transform themselves, you know, into reliability engineers who can um, can handle these devices?
1: Yes, I do. I think that they should go back to the fundamentals and uh, of what reliability is, and start from there because that's what I had to do. And uh, when um, Professor Steve Centuria approached me to write. Um, one of the books in his uh, Men's Reference series and said, hey, we really need Men's Reliability out there. Um, I asked two of my good friends who were very good, and together we, we wrote a Men's Reliability book. And I think that uh, we are, um, we're, we're definitely able to teach through that. There's a lot of great literature out there. Um, it's, not, it's not just the book, there's huge amounts of researchers that have done very good work. So I'd say do your homework, um, remember the fundamentals, and uh,
0: put your parts on test early. And I'm sure you would recommend they take a look at your book also uh, on mental liability through Springer Publishing. But I don't want
1: to consume (laughs) it on it. But uh, yeah, of course I'd like that if
0: they did. Very good, Allison. Thanks so much for your insights today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been real honor
0: that you asked me to come on your podcast. You're very welcome. That, that was Allison Hartzell, Managing Engineer at Verist Engineering. For more information about Verist and their variety of engineering, consulting, and training services, visit www.verist.com. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks very much for joining us.